This is a Partially Examined Life episode preview. You can purchase the full episode individually or support the podcast to get all of our episodes. Review your options at partiallyexaminedlife.com slash support. You're listening to The Partially Examined Life, a philosophy podcast by some guys who at one point set on doing philosophy for a living, but then thought better of it. Our question for episode 64 is something like, uh, what's the deal with our fucked up relationship with celebrities? And we are very happy to have a bona fide celebrity guest, Miss Lucy Lawless, to discuss the book Fame, What the Classics Tell Us About Our Cult of Celebrity by Tom Paine from 2010. My name is Mark Linsenmeyer in Madison, Wisconsin. This is Seth Paskin in Austin, Texas. This is Wes Alwyn in Boston, Massachusetts. This is Dylan Casey in Middleton, Wisconsin. And Lucy Lawless in Auckland, New Zealand. Yay. Yeah, welcome, Lucy. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. Wow, Lucy. thank you. I'm so Thanks for coming on. psyched to hear you guys live. I've been uh, laughing at you for the last year <laughs> without any interacting with you. Big thrill for me. So thanks for having me. Big thrill for us as well. So we're not going to talk about Lucy's what you're working on right now, because that's what normal talk shows do. This is not an interview. This is her participating in a discussion. And if she talks less than half of the time, that's because there are five people on the damn call. She's not funny. And you've edited it out. No, that's because one of us is dominating the conversation. <laughs> letting It'll talk. be Seth Paskin again. Uh, yeah. Seth, As usual. Just... Seth never stops. <laughs> yeah, highly unlikely. I want you guys to have a punch up, like an intellectual punch up. Maybe if um, I love it when Wes swears and when Mark goes into Jack Black mode and Dylan gets really cross with him, <laughs> and, <laughs> and Seth says, oh, "I'm really glad you brought that up," and then proceeds to like devastate you with his quiet insight. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. You've summed up the whole show. Yeah, that's pretty much yeah, it. That's it. Fame, what the classics tell us about celebrity. Even though you might think that the celebrity culture of today is a product of the media, and why would they have celebrities back then? At least he managed to plunge into Homer or James Fraser's The Golden Bough, which describes religious uh, ceremonies. And that's a book from 1890 by an anthropologist goes into religious ceremonies from various cultures where they all make their kings into gods and kill them. And into Faust and into mostly in ancient Greece, but also a big section on the Roman emperors, other things that there's at least something that can be compared fruitfully back then to your own experience. Yeah. But don't you think it's the drive for prestige and the need for significance to stand out in a group of any size? It's a little bit of a human need. You know, we need to belong. This is okay. This may be pure Tony Robbins. So I'm just <laughs> giving you a little disclaimer here. But that need to stand apart from your peers and yet be one of them is so entrenched in us that it doesn't really surprise me that people sought celebrity way back then. And I thought about people like Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton who remained actors their entire lives well sort of she didn't do much in their later days but um, you could take those people out of Hollywood and put them back in a Welsh mining town they're still going to be celebrities they're still going to be stars because they just have crazy charisma and wouldn't accept being also ran so yeah I think celebrity is sort of a desire for prestige and to stand apart and have the admiration of our peers because you don't really want the admiration of people that you don't respect. You don't care about that. I wondered about that with 
the emperors. And I wondered if that was one of the distinguishing features with the kind of fame that Payne was talking about, is that they seemed to be pointing to people who were famous amongst everybody. And in many cases, they didn't respect them. They didn't seem like they were their peers, necessarily. Well, also, for most people, it's a need to actually have famous people that they can identify with or have some sort of relationship with. They may not be driven to try to become famous themselves, but mm. there's a sort of cultural or societal need as a whole that goes back to some very primitive needs, which according to, well, Payne is sort of giving us a, he's recounting Fraser's Golden Bough and, and then Walter Burkert who wrote this book called Homo Nikons. But the idea is that we have this relationship. In the case of Burkert, it's to like a sacred sacrificial animal, or in the case of Fraser, to a god, which helps us form a community. We can't even form a community without this sort of relationship. And so fame sort of takes that over. In the once we get to a stage where religion is no longer as significant as it used to be, fame and celebrity sort of fulfill that function that, um, oh, that whether it's religious shamans or, yeah, oh, right. go ahead. I remember you saying something about that now, about um, human sacrifice, right? That we need to sort of imprint or project all our aggression or desires outward onto some other person and then sacrifice them at some point when they displease us. So it sort of helps us exercise some of our own aggression as a society. Yeah, we need to sublimate that aggression. I mean, to form a community, we have to have these sort of libidinal or friendly bonds to one another. And to do that, we have to find a way to get rid of aggression, sort of... Yeah, turn it outwards. Yeah, turn it outwards. It's much safer than turning it on one another, isn't it? Yeah, one way of doing that is to direct it towards a sacrificial animal. So mm. for Burkert, and, and Payne sort of recounts this, the sacrifice is what he sees as sort of the foundational moment for a community, and even for the development of language, for symbols. A sacrificial animal, in a way, is the first symbol. The reason why that's important is because... So Burkert talks about going from a hunting community where you basically you need to kill things in order to live, and there's a fundamental conflict there. And when human beings become conscious that they're going to die, they strongly identify with these animals they're killing and they're driven by this conflict between having to kill things to live and then their own desire to live. So part of the atonement for that guilt of killing and for the anxiety that to kill one living thing is to kill life itself and to sort of deplete the cosmos of any life-giving qualities is to engage in this sacrificial ritual, which in a way is like a kind of undoing. An honoring of the life force. Yeah, it's an honoring and it's a way of undoing the idea that you're killing off life itself. So you elevate this animal, you make this animal important. So at the same time, you're dealing with anxiety about mortality and then you're channeling these aggressive impulses to something outside of the community. Yeah, and we love seeing those wounded animals in the magazines. I was looking at um, Demi Moore at the Chinese food store last night and hmm. she was 
on the front looking really thin but smiling and she had her hands on the shoulders of a little African boy saying, I want to adopt. And you're just like, <laughs> yeah, okay, that's going to make you complete. But that's what every crazy woman should do. She should adopt a child, you know. And um, But it's that wounded creature struggling to get up and do something in her mind that's really good. We just want to watch that and kind of be snooty about it. Well, maybe that's just me. I don't know. But I, I do recognize what you're talking about in the Demi Moore headlines, you know, because she's such a wounded creature right now. Is she? Yeah, she sort of lost her marbles when her toy boy left her because, you know, he's 12 and he wanted to <laughs> find somebody his own age to marry. <laughs> right? Uh, Ashton Kutcher. So now I have this, this image of Lucy Lawless reading all the uh, <laughs> celebrity tabloids. You're not only a celebrity, stuff. but you're into celebrity. Look, I'm just explaining to you. <laughs> she was researching for the episode. Hey, hey I tell all. you what, I bloody sacrificed myself last week, man, because I went and watched the true Hollywood story of Britney Spears. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I did it for you. Well, that is that's legitimate research. preparation for this episode. I tell you what was fascinating is that I saw how those stalkerazzi really did make her life much more of a hell than I would ever have believed. And it's a way that we as consumers of these shitey magazines, we buy them, but we abrogate ourselves of any of the responsibility for the way those images are collected. You know, like our hands are clean. I just paid two bucks 30. That's all, you know, I'm not stalking her. Oh yeah, we are. It's horrifying how we turn these people into, whether they ask for it or not. And, and there's a lot of complicity in it, of course, but we have turned them into animals that we're hunting down, man. It's like get a wicker man and stuff that kid in it so we can buddy laugh yeah. while she burns. Yeah. There's this impulse to, I mean, and I think this is part of what pain is trying to understand why we have this desire to idealize and worship and then suddenly turn that into demonization. Mm. And there's a Huffington Post article today or yesterday, I think, on the slut shaming of, I forget her name. Is it Kristen Stewart? Is that oh, the... over having an affair with the director or something? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So that's a perfect example of, you know, you idealize and she sort of has this, she was a child actress as well. So there's kind of a little girl quality. Yeah. And she's also, there's a reticence to her. She's sort of the perfect object for these sorts of fantasies. and for Because we all loved her when she was an awkward teenager who yeah. looked like she might cut herself for in her spare time. <laughs> like she looks so sort of yes. on the edge. We're going to love her and support her because she's bloody talented, actually. Right. I agree. But you're right. She goes and makes an adult mistake and we're going to, in a very C.S. Lewis kind of way, we're going to punish her for growing up and making a mistake that 50% of married people in America do. Right. The first sign of sexuality and it's this sort of hysterical reaction. And of course the media sort of loves it. They glom onto that and that creates headlines for, yeah. for weeks. Let me ask the question. I mean, the assumption then of Payne's book, right, is that we are violent creatures. It endorses a particular view of, you know, almost a state of nature, right? The nasty British and short point of view that we're violent creatures and that somehow in forming communities, in order to be civilized, we have to have an outlet for that violent aggression and that fame is somehow this relationship between individuals and the community whereby we are able to enact or live out certain kinds of violence. So mm. are celebrities set up then specifically for the purpose to fail or to be caught in these 
traps to find the flaws that we need to set somebody up in order to have this failure? The book really explores all the different ways and reasons that people become famous, court fame, court famous people, don't they? So, mm. yeah, it's interesting to see kids who didn't ask for fame. Oh, you know, let's see what happens to um, Tom Cruise's child. Don't you find it so disgusting that we know people's three-year-old's name and we're acting like we know them? We don't know our neighbor's kids, but we know Suri Cruz and what the hell she's wearing on her feet this right. week. It's really perverse. What's that about? Yeah, yeah. Well, I like that you pointed out the sort of self-hating aspect of it, that we all, even though mm. you know most of us participate to some degree in this culture that puts celebrities in this position, that... We sort of blame, oh, it's the media's fault. It's the hoi polloi. And yet, who is the hoi polloi? I mean, is it is it just that I'm saying this from an isolated position and there really are sincere, non-self-hating celebrity <laughs> worshippers? Yes, I think there and are. And that is the mass of the issue? Or is it, I tend to feel like it's us reflective ones, as you were saying, are sort of to blame as well. I mean, even if you're just yeah, economically supporting it a little. I don't think any of us es escape celebrity We're talking worship. about it. The fact that we're talking about it. Mm, yeah, whether it's sports stars or whatever, right? Does it go back to that thing? Who talked about Zeus splitting us with a, uh, the double people? Was it in, not Symposium? Plato's Symposium. 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 Yeah. Is yeah, it part of that we sense some lack of wholeness, so we're trying to fill it with all kind of delicacies like Stuff that can't possibly nourish you. And this is just another one of those addictions that we have to... Lucy, could I tell you a story about Jesus? Tell me a story. <laughs> tell me about Jesus. I'm just saying that's exactly what uh, a significant portion of our listenership and we'll, we'll just say, you know, well, that's part of human nature is this <laughs> having a hole in you. And that's exactly what religion jumps in to take advantage of. And, you know, yeah. talking from Payne's point of view, actually, yeah, what you're saying, like that is the appropriate role of religion. And he considers this celebrity worship as a religious phenomena. It's not really that different, even if you're completely secular and you say, oh, I don't want to make these crazy metaphysical claims about God or whatever, the role psychologically that these things had historically yeah. is very much the same role that celebrities yeah. have now. Yeah. That's interesting. Sometimes I think that not talking about what God is, whether there is a God or not, but the structure of what certainly what I was raised in our, the God belief is almost like just replicating that inner sense. So if I get up a la Descartes, and I'm going to doubt everything that I ever was told about God. And I look around and I see so much chaos and people are kind of doing bad things and they might cut in front of me. I want to think that there is some big Mac daddy in a sense out there that is going to take revenge and they'll get what's coming to them. Then my God is like a means of revenge for me and that the God will take the revenge. The Furies, yes. The Furies will come down on you. I'm going to wilt them down on you. I know them personally. I did a few episodes with them. <laughs> I like the fact that your example of evil in the world is people cutting in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Don't mess with me, Orwell. <laughs> it really is evil, whatever, though. I agree. I don't, I don't disagree with it. No, but it's dumb stuff like that. You know, somebody's making me so mad, I want revenge yeah. on them. Well, I'm not really going to chase them in my car, but I'm going to sick the furies i'm gonna sick my god hang on why am i talking about that because you were talking about <laughs> I'm, I'm using god i'm using <laughs> I'm sick lucy lawless on my enemies no but i'm using god like a big black dog that's gonna come after you but on celebrities i'm the big black dog that's gonna get rid of the celebrity i've built them up and now i'm gonna vote them off the island like as is in this book 
When they displease you, yes. Yeah, when, they, when they displease me. That's the way he puts it. He says normally we have a this cycle of celebration, consecration, and sacrifice is one of his things. But in other places in the book, it sounds like that's not inevitable. It's just that when the celebrities displease us, then we're so willing to turn against the ones that we've worshipped. He also kind of puts with that that we kind of set them up to fail, that we yeah. have these impossible standards of beauty, and we sort of expect people's peak age to fade. I, mean, I just think of all the, how many people sort of look at their favorite bands or something and don't think like, oh, well, their early stuff was good, and then they sold out at some, you know, they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're looking for something. I sort of am aware of that. I go out of my way to try to be generous, and like... <laughs> I'm not really sure whether the uh, sacrifice part is built into the phenomenon of celebrity or just like you're saying that once we've given our heart to something, then when it pisses us off, then we overreact. Or when the beauty fades. Yeah. You want to get a fresh one, get a fresh virgin. When she cuts her Mm -hmm. hair off, which I see is, you know, in the book, it goes on about um, Brittany cutting her hair off very publicly. And that's the sort of thing women do when they're wanting to get a divorce. They go and cut all their hair off, right? It's about taking back your power, I think. And you take on a male role and cutting your hair off is a very significant thing for a woman. Part of this all sounds a lot like we're conflating generic schadenfreude, you know, being happy that other people who have success get brought down to us, sort of the phenomenon Mm. of wanting to cut all the strands of wheat that stick out. It seems to be related to what happens with fame, but it doesn't seem to be exactly that. And part of the deal with fame is that people want it. So part of the story in Payne's book was that you had virgins that were sacrificed and the way people turned on celebrities and stuff like that. But it seems to me that a big part of it is that they want it. Yeah. Yeah. So the virgins who were being sacrificed fought over the privilege to do that. And the athletes who are going to be tossed out after they lose, you know, a fraction of their batting average or whatever, fight tooth and nail to get there. Mm. And the politicians and they're all trying to get there and enjoy that fame, whatever that is. Oh, that's right. Yeah. In the book, he talked about glory over death. Eh? That we're going to die anyway. I might as well die sooner with a, a whole lot of glory. Go out and do something spectacular with my life. Yeah. I think part of celebrity worship, it's not just like there are celebrities and there are these sort of gods or demigods and we worship them. There's often the idea that if we get lucky or if we work hard enough, we could become one of them. And that's part of the identification that's going on. Is that what you're getting at, Dylan? I'm not even thinking about identification. I'm thinking about the whole part about fame, which is distinguishing yourself from other people. If you really want to be famous, you don't want to be like everybody else. I mean, if you crave being famous, you want to make sure that you are different and distinguished from everybody else. So if you want to be famous by being the one chosen to be sacrificed, you're fighting for that. And you don't want somebody to get cut in line for you for that. If you want to be the most famous band in the world, yeah, you want other people to be successful, but you really want your band to be the most famous. Mm. You're craving notoriety, you're craving success, and it gets all smudged together, right? That you want to be successful for the right reasons and stuff like that. But fame doesn't distinguish between those things. How typical is that motivation, though, for for people? I mean, how many people are motivated by that? I think resentment is a pretty key... (laughs) 
part of uh, and it's not just you know because I know from my own experience that I will feel like sort of why is that band getting pressed my band isn't getting, you know that <laughs> that immediately kind of jealousy but then people also have it just with their they don't have to be creators themselves to feel like that they could have it just you know I have a limited amount of attention and if something is intruding itself upon my attention so think about the songs that play on top 40 radio that you know you're just walking around and they're just thrust upon you you don't seek that out yourself but yet you find yourself knowing this or commercial jingles or even worse but just anything that's an unwelcome entrance you know so why do I know about Jeff Galuli or so, you know just that was the first bullshit celebrity name that came up because there was some big news story that went over and over and over back in the day and so that it's irritating. You, you feel like that at least some portion of the celebrity crowd does not deserve it. It's supposed to be meritocratic, that they're supposed to be so charismatic or so talented. And if you feel, and of course, people's opinions are always going to be different. So no matter how honestly talented and charismatic some particular celebrity is, there's going to be a significant portion of the people that that person's image is thrust upon that are going to disagree and are going to be just like cheering if they go down. I mean, these <laughs> days, it's not even that. It's a meritocracy is not you know, these days people are famous just for being famous right that's the common complaint they've always been famous for just being famous <laughs> well, here's the, the thing though here's the thing i okay there is a certain amount of currency in i mean the only reason i log into twitter ever is to you've got to kind of feed that monster a little bit or you might want to get out a political point of view or whatever it is. A little bit. Are you ever unlogged out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't sorry. put her on the spot. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Shut up, Wes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick of you. That was going. I'm hanging up Wes on Wes. I'm, I'm excluding him from the rest of the but there is currency in you've got to be recognized, you know, in order to be cast in certain shows. It's not a meritocracy anymore. It's not just enough to be talented to get cast in a certain movie. You have to be on a, a list of actors that none of us have ever heard about, of people who are considered hot right now, whether they're good or not yet. There's this bizarre little list in Hollywood of young the next up-and-comers. You have to have some kind of profile, some kind of worth in the media in order to get cast. And my girlfriend and I both learned that when we cut our hair and went blonde and were no longer recognizable as the entity that made us famous, we were nowhere until we you know, let our hair go dark again. So You cut your hair and went blonde? I had very long blonde hair for a while, and but was not recognizable. So, yeah, recognition counts. It counts in the office world as well. Those sort of petty sorts of political considerations to getting anywhere, whatever field you're in. It seems like there are a couple of considerations here. One would be the way in which you have to sort of resign yourself to nurturing a kind of reputation that may or may not trade in the same currency as fame to get places that you want to get and be successful in a kind of sincere way full of integrity. That's kind of a pragmatic, realistic view towards the way in which any practically given occupation works. But then there's also the desire just to be famous and have notoriety for the sake of itself or for the sake of its place in your current society. Payne talks about, you know, emperors who wanted to make themselves gods and the way people rewrite their memoirs in order to try to influence their place in history and that kind of thing. And there, it doesn't seem to me just a question of their notoriety, but them wanting to be famous and craving the adulation of people they don't know. They like it. 
I was reading what Lucy said there a little bit differently, Dylan, that, you know, I felt like she was highlighting Payne's point about how fame rests in the community as much as in the individual. It's not just about the individual's desire to be famous. It's about the fact that who is famous is determined by the people in the community, not by the famous person themselves. And what fame does is people who are famous are willing to give the broader community what it is that they're looking for in fame. You can create fame in a certain way, but at the same time, you also have to satisfy a certain set of needs or desires that the people have for the famous. Yeah, it won't keep you working, you know, if, unless you're good, unless you're talented. You won't keep a career past that sort of honeymoon period when your beauty fades or they've rubbished you enough and you just fade into the distance. You better be something other than beautiful or a good sportsman or whatever to keep working. But you, you do have to service it somewhat. In 140 characters, that I can do, but I cannot write a blog or... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Twitter is your medium. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite a lazy person. And um, However, isn't it funny on Twitter or Facebook now, anybody can get that feeling of being famous. Or with a podcast. We have no basis for comparison. Yes, you do. <laughs> for... Yes, you do. You, I mean, you get lots of feedback. Never mind. Are we getting off track? Seth, bring us back to the book, well, baby. It's an, it, no, it's, no, no, just it's, go back to just praising us. That's what, no, really, what this should be about. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, this is actually a very interesting topic to me because I don't consider us to be famous at all. Like, I don't think of uh, no. us as having... Not in the least. Not in the same way that you are. It's almost like I don't even think of it as two ends of, you know, of a spectrum or a continuum. Like whatever it is that we're doing, we're not famous in the way that you're famous. It just doesn't seem like the same thing to me. Oh, well, maybe it is. We're famous to like 10 people. Yeah, well, same with me in this big scheme of things. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not, I cannot imagine what it's like to be Tom Cruise or any of those people. And also I have an extremely private, private life. So there's no fame going on in my immediate environment. But that's, mm. I think. If, if you're a smart celebrity, you are also going to have a very normal life. You go off and be famous at, in order to mm. service your work as a tool. But it's a terrible folly to think that all those images are real. We just had a woman in New Zealand, uh, in Australia, who was um, attacked really viciously on Twitter and nearly committed suicide. She was on 60 Minutes blubbing about it, but was absolutely unable to disengage. So she was a very willing participant in it. And she's on one of those sort of modeling shows where she gets to be the Simon Cowell, kind of the bitch character. And then even though that may be a persona, it comes back at you tenfold. So she was participating in her own. It's very self-harming kind of thing to do, you know, if you um, believe in it too much. Hmm. Well, let me ask you. So just the fact that you're in the public eye so that you have all this stuff that's very easily followable about you. And I found when I got in touch with you and was just talking with you a little casually, I felt like I should... I wasn't sure, you know, I just read your webpage. I knew how many kids you, that you had, what the ages were, but yet I felt like it would be rude to indicate I knew that. But, no, but you did because, the way, because the way you said something indicated that you knew something and then it made me go and look it up. And I was absolutely amazed by the absolute shite that was on uh, Wikipedia. And my friends and I decided we'd just judge it up and like put some really ludicrous stuff on there. I'm not sure if it even got through the, um, I guess there is a dragon at the gate at Wikipedia, but we were going to really make it creative. But um, it's pretty nutty stuff. I don't know what web page you read because I haven't been on a web page in years. 
I just, you know, I did a search on you before I talked to you. I saw about the Arctic stuff and the trial because you just had referenced things. And in, in some ways, like I could see how it would be kind of convenient for you that you don't have to keep re-explaining yourself because anybody, if they could just prepare themselves before, <laughs> before talking to you. But on the other hand, so it's, it sort of seems rude to indicate that I knew this stuff, but also rude not to, because like, really, I'm going to make you say that stuff again, even though I know that like mm. it's a just a weird thing. I don't thing. know how other people would feel about that, but I wouldn't care. I don't expect people to know, and it's not <laughs> important to me that they, <laughs> if you can talk like a normal human being to somebody, then that's normal, isn't it? That's good. So the reason we chose this book is because we wanted to have you on the show. You're interested potentially, and I wanted to find something that we could talk about. Just the process of getting in touch with you and you tweeting about us and things led to this whole like just sense of existential weirdness that you don't get in other situations. Like, why should I be nervous talking to this person? It's just a person. I don't know if there's anything like what philosophical comes out of that. I don't know. No, you do get a funny reaction from some people, but I've learned to recognize that now. Like some people get a bit aggressive with you. And um, I don't take that as an offense. That's a defense mechanism in them. But like they'll try to aggressively pretend that they don't know anything about you at all. Or um, because Zena was such a lesbian fan, you know, I get these dear little lesbians sort of standing off to the side, never making eye contact, but always their bodily their energy is going towards you. It's another type. And, I but know exactly what you mean. But it's yeah. fading yeah. now, you know. That was, a, that was from the 90s. You guys are hip now. <laughs> you've been, work, you've been working a little bit recently too. They say I'm sure you have plenty of yes. plenty of Spartacus fans and oh right, oh my god, that's amazing. The minute I take off the costume and go home, I just forget all about it. But flight of the Concord. So now I'm sitting in lectures and um, oh god, I love it so much. I can't even tell you. Are you recognized? Are you anonymous? Well, I didn't really think about it too much because it's like, oh, it's New Zealand. So yes, I'm recognized, but people very quickly don't care. And I'm sitting with a bunch of 18 year olds. So when I was big, they were three. So <laughs> it's really rather delightful. And they just take me on as this kind of um, class pet. Yeah. They're really cute. Except there was a big boy in front of me. Samoan boy, and he was totally psyched to see me in the lecture class the other day. <laughs> it was really cute. Well, you must have a couple of things going on besides being famous, also being an older student. You're going to regular classes with yeah. 19 and 20 year olds. Yeah. That's a, also a completely different dynamic. Yeah, because I'm that pain in the ass who will ask the questions. I've calmed down, by the way. <laughs> the young people what? just sit there and take it and that you gotta say really well, well, well. but there are some real advantages to being a bit older too because they are all spending so much energy worrying about where their money's coming from they're doing a full course so they're absolutely stretched in every direction they're worrying about relationships and what am I going to do in my career and my family whereas I'm like I don't care it's all taken care of I'm fine you know <laughs> so right. I'm um, just loving absorbing all these ideas. It's really confronting. Your comment about New Zealand reminds me of, uh, I guess, what maybe Dylan was making the point earlier. So there's two sources of the fame phenomenon. One is we all want to kind of stand out in a group. So even if there were just four of us on an island, you'd still have that urge to stand out. And then on the other extreme is like the mass media that we treat people in the mass media as if they aren't even people, that we treat them like they are 
yeah. TV that we are just passively watching. And so we can complain to each other and the person will never hear it because it's a one way medium. And but it seems like New Zealand is kind of, you know, the, the, since it's smaller and more, I don't know, I don't want to characterize a place that I've never been. It's a Shire, but, a Shire model. It's, it's yeah. more like Aristotle's We're a really polis. homey version of Canada. Is that, is that what you're saying? <laughs> okay. No, I tell you what, you put me in mind of something. We were talking the other day about tweeting and, and trolls and people objectifying the celebrities as if they're not a real person. And I told you about how in the early days of Xena in the 90s, when the internet was really just starting to burgeon, my husband went and downloaded some Stuff. Somehow it came to my attention where a gentleman was, or somebody who purported to be a gentleman said, I'm a such and such a kind of surgeon and I can tell by looking at Lucy's hands that she's going to suffer from X, Y, and Z in the future. Those are very marked signs. And over the next two or three months, I started to manifest these problems with my hands, right? And I knew where it was coming from. I knew there was nothing wrong with me. And that this person had was just a bullshitter who I felt like they were trying to get at me. Eventually, I reasoned that, in fact, they weren't trying to get me because I don't really think I'm reading this crap. But they are trying to upset the real fans. So they just want to cause toxicity everywhere they go. And probably in their real lives, it's just their pattern, right? But I realized from that moment on that I would never admit any of this stuff into my house. Nobody's allowed to read it to me. I'm not interested. It's not real. That's been a real strength for me. The lesson was cheap at the price. But yeah, people want to, they don't think the celebrity is real. Well, and the way you described trolls like that is it's an ego issue. So it's a resentment issue. So it seems like it's, it's part of the same desire that mm. goes into wanting to be famous. I want to be somebody, you know, yeah. is, is uh, well, if you have no easy route to do that. So there's a sort of Nietzschean picture of the, the strong, successful celebrities through their own talents are the masters and then this, the internet trolls are the slaves who have no talents or whatever to no opportunity, whatever the case is, but still have that same urge to mastery. And so the right, striking out is, the, is the only thing you can do. Yeah. That's yes. that Nietzsche thing you talked about. Yeah. And in fact, saying being popular is bad that you're, you're a yeah. sellout. If you're popular, you're right. Uh, wow. That's, Oh God, that's deep, Mark. <laughs> so I just used Nietzsche to suck up to Lulu Lasa. All right. So. <laughs> I have called myself that, by the way. Hey, and then there's the other thing. If they can't make you love them, they're going to go troll on. They're going to hate you. And they're going to. I've had them move to this country just to be closer, just to get in my face. Wow. So what's that? What does that <laughs> correspond to? You know, in the book, he talks about how the animal sacrifice was sort of a, an occasion to eat meat and that there's this transference almost through the blood that there's, you know, there's a sort of, mm. there's a sort of power thing. I mean, maybe what these people want to do is they feel like if you're holding something, I'll call it transcendent or yeah. unique or some sort of spiritual power. And that if they can somehow tap into that, they can by virtue of their fame. Thanks for listening to this episode preview. You can purchase a full episode at our store page, get it by supporting us through Patreon, or become a partially examined life citizen. We provide supporters with ad-free access to our full catalog, including new exclusive content. Configure our citizen feed to get it all beamed straight to your Apple or Android device. Learn more at partiallyexaminedlife.com support.